morning. Hallelujah to Jehovah Yahweh. When daylight came, the chief magistrate sent to the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without a trial, although we are Roman citizens, and threw us in jail. And now they are going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come out themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to appease them, and escorting them from prison, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters, and departed. Amen. Yeah, so God, we thank you today for the privilege of coming together to worship you. So right now, I want to give you an opportunity to pray. So God, I pray that you open my spiritual eyes and ears. Can you pray that right now? God, remove all the distractions out of my mind that I could hear what you want me to hear and see what you want me to see. Help me to focus in on you and your word right now. So I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So today, we're going to be talking about something kind of, it's, it's, if you stay with me this morning, I promise you that what we're talking about is going to tie in to the text that Christopher just read. This may be a little different than what, you know, if you've ever heard of sermons on this text and what you've ever heard before or probably will ever hear again over this text. But here's what I've learned. When the Holy Spirit lays something on my heart, that is what I better go with and don't fight that. So this is what Holy Spirit's laid on my heart for you this morning. And so here's what I have to say to start off with. For those of you that are in Christ, you say, I'm saved I'm born again. Holy Spirit's working in my life. Well, here's what the number one thing that the enemy wants to get you messed up with. It's your identity in Christ. Amen. Number one thing. You know you're in Christ, but he just wants you to doubt that. He wants you to struggle with what that really means and get you all messed up there. If he can get you messed up in your identity with Christ, then he's already got you right where he wants you to be. And here's the bad news. The world and the flesh are working in cahoots with him on this. It isn't just the devil. It's also your sin nature. Even though you're in Christ, you still battle with that sin nature. And even though you're in Christ, you still live in this world. So let's say it like this. Our flesh, our sin nature, the world we live in, everything around us, especially the, the part of the, the section of the world that takes Jesus out of it, and the devil are always manipulating our minds. Remember now, when we talk about mind in the Bible, biblical context, that's our mind, our soul, and our heart, all synonymous, okay? So it's always manipulating our minds to believe a lie, to be misinformed and misunderstood, or to be misunderstanding others. How many conflicts have you had because of misunderstandings? About 100% of them, maybe. <laughs> Usually it boils down to a misunderstanding. So understand this. You've got these three that are working right now. I mean, listen, you're not immune to it. doesn't matter how you feel this morning, how spiritually mature you, you may be or you may think you are. This is a battle you're in right now. 
The battle is this, to get you to where you are messed up about what it means to be in Christ. This is, I, would, I could argue this is our greatest problem in Christianity in America today. This boils down to this. Look at this. Got this from Neil T. Anderson. Man, we got some great books in the resource room. Got this. I, I, read, I think I read about three of his books this week. I don't know, but just good stuff. This is one of my came across. I want you to look at this. Maybe you might, look, you might need to look up at the big screen. Who we are in Christ, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are children of God. We are part of the true vine, and Christ's life flows through us. We are Christ's friends. We are chosen by Jesus to bear fruit. We are Christ's personal witness sent out to tell everybody about him. We are slaves of righteousness. We are righteous and holy. We are hidden with Christ in God. We're an expression of the life of Christ because he is our life. We are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. We are children of the light, not of darkness. We are chosen to share in God's heavenly calling. Just a few things there. Truth. That's truth upon truth upon truth about who we are in Christ. You should be feeling better right now, by the way. If while I'm reading that, if while I was reading that, if you totally just spaced out, you need to get that book back there, Bondage Breaker, and read it, okay? Because, come on, seriously, now, when we come to church, if you come to church and you sit there and right now and you have a hard time focusing the whole time through, there's some strongholds that are messing with you. And let me tell you something. One more level from that. If you're sitting here right now and you have voices in your head that are saying something else to you, you need some help, and we can help you. But understand this. You may think you're alone in this. Here's what I can promise you. There are other people in this room that are experiencing the same thing you are. And you know what? No one ever says anything because if we do, we think we just outed ourselves and we're crazy. Here's what I'm telling you today. You're not crazy. It's a stronghold, okay? And you can get help with that. We can help you with that, okay? So don't feel bad. Don't feel whatever it may be. Once again, the enemy is trying to get you misinformed about your identity in Christ, okay? So you may say, I don't want to listen to it or whatever. No, you need, listen, you need help. We can help you with that. We have the resources. Oh, I need to read that verse. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say He's going to start getting her to question her identity because she was created in the image of God. She was sinless at this point. Apart from Jesus Christ, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they were the most in the image of God of anybody else who's ever walked on the face of the earth. They had it, as we would say here in East Texas, made in the shade, literally. Okay, They had the good life. All they had to do is... Just stay away from one tree. That's the only rule. Other than that, they had total freedom and total authority, and they had an intimate relationship face-to-face with God Almighty. It doesn't get any better than that. Just one thing, just stay away from this. And here she's lingering around, and the serpent comes up, and he gets her to start questioning. Did God really say? Now, Now listen, here's the thing. Every single one of us deal with this. 
Is that really what the Bible says? Are, are you really saved? If you think like that, you must not really be a Christian. If you did that, you must not really be. There's always those thoughts that are coming from the enemy. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it. See, now she's adding to God's word, right? Or you will die. So now she's already getting messed up, and she's starting to add to what God said. No! Exclamation mark. You will certainly not die. Well, that's, that's pretty, he is pretty strong with that. Certainly? You will certainly not die? Is he lying right here? <laughs> that's a pretty bold lie, is it? You certainly will not die. See, and here's the thing. With every temptation that comes at you, the devil never gives you the whole truth. It's always about what you feel and what you feel that you deserve right here and right now. So if he can convince us to play into what I think I need and I want right now, it's never about the long-term consequences of falling into this. And he never gives you the full ramifications of what you will suffer and your children will suffer and everybody connected to you will suffer long-term. So it's about what I feel, what I want right here and right now. And you certainly won't die. The serpent said the woman, in fact, <laughs> oh, fact, really? In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be better off. You will be like God. She already was like God. Do you see that? There's no upgrade. There's only downgrade from here. Has that same temptation ever came at you before? And so you'll be better off if you buy this car and you bought the car and you are worse off? Oh, I'm the only one? You guys looked at me like I know what I'm talking about. I bought this house and you thought I'd be better off and I'd take this job, I'd be making more money, I'd be better off. And in the long run, see, he doesn't tell her, oh yeah, you will die physically now. You will not only die physically, but every child ever born except for one is going to be born with a sin nature, only Jesus. After that, you realize this, all the struggles you and I ever go through is because she made this stupid mistake right here. You realize that, right? We live in a sin-filled, broken world. Maybe some of y'all... You struggle with getting mad at God because things are going wrong. You should be mad at Eve <laughs> and Adam. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and she's living in the moment. God, help us not to do this. It was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. And there's some wisdom we don't need to obtain, by the way. So she took some of its fruit, and she ate it. She also gave some with her husband who was with her. Of course, you know the problem with that. Y'all heard all the sermons. I want to get into that. And he ate it too. Dead gummit. <laughs> then the eyes of them both were opened, and they thought, oh, we're better off now. And they knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings because now they've got something called shame that they didn't have before. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine that. They could see God every day. And here he comes back. He's walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and mm, they hid 
because now they've got separation between them and God. And that's what sin does. Every time we give in to the temptation, we make it about me, myself, and I, then we put separation between us and God. We're no, see, we're no longer relying on God when we fall into the temptation. You realize that, right? Because Adam, he was relying on God up to a point. Whenever he took that forbidden fruit and Eve took that forbidden fruit, they stopped relying on God and they, they turned to themselves. No longer do I want God on the throne. And for us, no longer do I want Jesus on the throne, but I want King Self on the throne. Because this is better. I, I deserve this. If those words ever come out of your mouth, I want to warn you, be careful with that one. You don't want what you deserve. So we want grace. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Because <laughs> are you going to hide from God? So the Lord God called out to the man, and he said, where are you? Because did God need information? He knew where they were. The question is, did they know where they were? And you see, that's the thing with you and I, is that God knows exactly where we are. The Bible says our heart is desperately wicked above all things who can know it. Well, God knows it. He knows your heart. The question is, do you know where you are? See, because we're always falling into the lines of the deception, thinking we're somewhere we're not and someone we're not. See, it's the identity crisis we're talking about right here. He's, right here he calls out and he says, he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. There's where all of anxiety begins. I mean, the first sin results in anxiety. Anxious, worried about it. I was afraid, God, because I heard you. Well, do, listen, I'm going to tell you something. This may hurt your feelings a little bit, but we got to be honest in here, right? Anxiety is a sin. Commanded, do not be anxious. This is me right now, man. I can't help that. No, this is what I'm telling you. There is a root source to your anxiety, and it's fear. What's cause of fear? I don't know. That's what you got to get down to the bottom of and get help with right there. I can tell you this much anxiety. Listen, right? It's a first, with, when, he never experienced anxiety before. But now he's anxious. That's the number one thing rising in our culture today. We have children. Used to, back when I was a kid, I never heard of any kid, children being having anxiety or needing help with that. Now, anxiety, why is it getting so bad in our culture that we live in? Ask yourself that question. Why is anxiety on the uprise? Why is it getting worse? Why the more prosperous we become as a culture, the more wealthy we become as a culture, why do we become more anxious? Why is it that my great-grandparents didn't struggle with when they, listen, they were just praying for rain so they would live, so their, their crops would be watered, so they would live. They didn't have anxiety like we, I mean, if our great-great-grandparents came back and, and we sat down and told them what we were anxious, they would slap us in the face. <laughs> my point being is, once again, this may hurt, but let's be honest. The more spoiled I am, the more anxious I am. You do realize that God could cure us of a lot of this stuff by just taking it all away. I was afraid, so I hid. I need to be away from God. See, this is what, falling into temptation, I want to be away from God, God's people, church, all that stuff. I just want to get separated away from all of it. So here's what happens. Look at this. Here's the fall. Before the fall, they're glowing strengths. After the fall, they turn into glaring needs. Before they had full acceptance in God's presence, and now they experience rejection, and now they, there's a need to belong. Before, 
Man, there was total innocence right there. And now there's guilt and there's shame and there's a need for our self-worth to be restored. Before, they had freedom and freedom brings authority. And now we're all born into bondage of sin and we need to be set free because we don't actually have any authority. Does Jesus solve all these? Every single last one of them, doesn't he? Thank God for that today. Thank God we're not left with Adam and Eve, the first Adam. The Bible refers to Jesus as the second Adam. He fixes everything that the first Adam broke and broke in us. So we're going to get to our text in just a moment. One more thing you've got to understand as we talk about identity crisis. God created the nation of Israel, okay? They are his holy chosen people to represent him on the earth. He takes them out of Egyptian bondage, and he's going to take them to the promised land. He said, when you get to the promised land, he said, you know, here's a covenant I'm making with you. All you got to do is obey the covenant. And if you obey the covenant, have you ever read what, what they get if they obey the covenant? They get their land's going to produce crops for them. Their, their herds are going to be producing you know, offspring. Their children will all be born. And, I mean, you will prosper. You will be blessed. And all the world will look at you in awe because of what I have done for you. That's all you got to do is just obey the covenant. So they're heading in. They're headed to the promised land. God tells him when you get there, there's going to be, you're going to go into a land that is occupied, but I will drive out your enemies before you. So they know when they get there, there's going to be enemies. You know what happens? They get up there to the Jordan River. They're ready to, they send the scouts out in the promised land and they come back and they say, yeah, man, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, but it's a big but here. It's occupied. There's huge fortified cities with lots of big, mean people in there. And two of them stand up there, Joshua and Caleb. You know what they say, right? Man, they are nothing compared to our God. Our God said he's going to drive them out. All we got to do is obey our God, man. We will just go in there. We'll wipe them out, man. Let's go take it. And the other ten are like filled up with fear, and they're like, they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through and explore is one that devours Is that what God said it was going to do? That it would devour you? Do you see they're believing the lie now? Do you see that? Because if they're going to rely on themselves, they can't take it. They cannot take the land if I rely on my... Listen, see, I can see some of y'all spacing out right now. Let me help you with this. The promised land represents how you live in the kingdom of God here and now. Egypt represents the world. Okay? So for you to go in and occupy the kingdom of God... Know this, the neighbor's dog done jumped jumped the fence and ran over and got in your yard. (laughs) Go back two sermons before this and listen to it if that doesn't make any sense. He's trespassing. He gets in, he gets in the middle of your stuff, he'll chase the the wife's cat around the yard. I mean, like, he'll go nuts in there. In and of yourself, you cannot. The enemy's too big and too strong. He will whip you every time. If you're relying on yourself and your own power and your own strength, you'll never make it. But see, if you're relying 100% on God, your enemies will fall before you. They have no authority over you. You now have kingdom authority rule under the kingdom authority rule of Jesus to inhabit the kingdom of God, to bring the king. Lord, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Why would Jesus want you to pray something like that? Hmm? So I'm going to tell you this much. 
What's important about this is uh, my identity in Christ. Is my, my identity in Christ is understanding this, is that he, has, he is almighty God, that he has all authority and power over everything. I don't rely on myself because if I do, there's giants in the land and they will scare me. And all the people saw, and all the people, and all the people we saw in it are men of great size, but they're nothing compared to our gods. What Joshua and Caleb were trying to tell them, we even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak that came from Nephilim. These are giants. And here's their identity crisis. And we seemed like grasshoppers, and they must have seemed the same to we, and we must have seemed the same to we look like grasshoppers compared to them, and they must have been thinking the same thing about us is what they're saying. You know they were saying, it's not what you think about yourself. It's not what others think about you. It's what you think other people think about you. <laughs> That's what they are right there. They're like, I mean, they, they must, they, and they're all, they must be thinking the same thing about us. So we are like a bunch of, okay, you are. You are like a bunch of grasshoppers compared to them, but they are grasshoppers compared to your God. So here's a question right here. Who are we relying on right here and right now? See, their identity right now is like they're identifying still as slaves in Egypt. Then the whole community broke into a loud cry. The people wept all night long. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, their leaders. They're the ones that did this. And the whole community told them, if only we had died. You see, this is what happens. When we start believing the lie, then we die to all of God's good things. See, it's, it's not, you think, we, we always think about death as physical death, part of the curse, but it's also the death to all of good, God's good things. Our relationship with him, our intimacy with Christ, the forgiveness of our sins, redemption. See, we die to the goodness of all these good things. All of a sudden, we begin to doubt those things. Okay, those don't apply to me. That's what we start thinking. Man, if we'd only died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in the wood. We'd have been better off. We wouldn't even wouldn't be here. They're on the, the edge of the promised land. And here's what they're saying. Oh, man, I feel so sorry for Joshua and Caleb, by the way. Why is the Lord, and that's always our next, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and our children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt because they're still identifying as slaves. So they said to one another, let's appoint a new leader and let's go back to Egypt where we belong. So you see, your identity in Christ is you are a child of God, born again, redeemed, made new. You are forgiven of your sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that today? Dear friends, see, this is, this is what I'm talking about today. When we get a hold of our identity in Christ, when we truly understand who we are in Christ, it's not about me and how good and how big I am or anything like that. It's about how good and how big and how almighty my God is. I'm identified in Christ Jesus. So here's what I'm going to argue this morning is that this is where Paul and Silas are. They have, their identity is rooted deeply in Christ Jesus. Think about this. What? What has, what's happened here in Acts chapter 16? Let's just review this for a moment. What happens is, is that Paul casts a demon out of the fortune-telling girl. She, had, she was a slave to these owners. They owned her. They made a lot of money off her telling people's fortunes, okay? When that happened, 
All of a sudden, her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone. So they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities, bringing them before the chief magistrates. They said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. And here's the problem, they're Jews. And they are promoting customs that are not legal for us as in our identity as Romans to adopt or to practice. The crowds joined in the attack against them. The chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. So when they're in jail, we saw last week that God brought a shaking to that jail. He shook off all their bonds of everybody, opened all the doors. Paul and Silas stay in the prison. So do all the other prisoners. The jailer comes out, calls for lots, asks him what he must do to be saved. Paul tells him he needs to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He and his whole family get saved. They get baptized. And here we come after this miraculous night of God bringing this powerful salvation. After the powerful suffering, must add for Paul and Silas, don't leave that one behind, that part out. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we saw that the problem was about they were Jews. Do you believe this morning your citizenship is in heaven? When daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released. So come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without a trial, although, uh-oh. You see, because as Roman citizens, they had rights. As Roman citizens, they cannot be punished without a proper trial. See, here's what you have to understand. If the magistrates, if they unjustly punished a Roman citizen, then they could lose their position as magistrates, as leaders in this Roman town, and they could also incur the same punishment that they gave to someone else, or they could even have their life taken from them. A serious matter to do that to a Roman citizen. So when Paul says, although we're Roman citizens, and they threw us in jail, and now they're going to send us away secretly? <laughs> Certainly not, exclamation mark. That's our boy, Paul. On the contrary, let them bring their little rear ends down here. Oh, that's, I'm sorry. Let them, ask, let them come themselves face-to-face -face and escort us out. I want to see that man-to-man. -man. You come down here, look me in the eyes, and you escort me out. Do you know why? Because Paul knows this as a Roman citizen. These dudes could be in big trouble. And it all comes down to how I respond to this. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid. Oh, why are they afraid? Because they are in big trouble. When they heard and they realized that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Let me tell you something, folks. Listen, today... Christ gets mocked. God gets blasphemed in this world that we live in. But read Revelation. Read Revelation. There's going to come a day when the throne of God is going to be revealed and the world is going to try to run and hide and they can't. Our God is long-suffering, by the way, and thankfully he is because I need him to be long-suffering towards me. 
So they came to Parakaleo. Para means come beside. Kaleo means to encourage. They came along by, man, they came, they came out that day with hands and smiling on their face. Hey, Paul and Silas, buddies, hey, come on, man. They are all trying to be encouragers now to Paul and Silas. They are all trying to be best friends. And they escorted them from the prison and they urged them to leave town. In a very nice way. One of our elders here, Chuck, we were having an elders meeting at his, night, his house one night. And as the elder meeting started to close down, everybody left but me and Jeff. Me and Jeff were in there. We were talking to Chuck. We were having a good time. And all of a sudden, Chuck stands up, and he does this and starts talking to me and Jeff and kind of talking and doing this at the same time. And I never will forget, walking off the steps, the front steps at Chuck's house, I turned to Jeff and I said, you do realize we just got kicked out, right? And Jeff said, yeah, we did, and I locked it. I said, me too. First time being kicked out, and I locked it. He did it in a good way. It was good. We, we laugh about it all the time now. And that's what I see these guys here doing, man. They're just kind of waving their arms and saying, hey, you know, wouldn't it be good for you guys just to move on down, leave Philippi behind, you know. There is better places out there for you to be. <clears throat> they pray Kaleo. They encourage them nicely. After leaving the jail, they came to... Lydia's house. Remember Lydia? She's the first one that was the first convert there. So they, they came to her house um, because they weren't ready to leave town. That's right. Come on. They're not operating on what these guys said. They're operating on the kingdom of God and his timetable. Where they saw and they parakaleo. So if you're reading that in Greek, you'd see how funny that is when Luke put that. No, they, they did the parakaleo there. They encouraged the brothers and sisters and then they departed. This is why I'm going to ask you something. This is the church in Philippi, right? Do you think that the jailer was there? Do you think that the former girl that was a fortune teller was there at Lydia's house? Interesting church, if I must say so myself. And I believe they were all there. Paul and Silas come in there, and they parakaleo, they encourage them, they come along beside them and encourage them to continue on, to grow, to be encouraged, because here's the thing, listen, listen, the president has been set. These Roman officials here in Philippi won't be messing with you. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, why doesn't Paul pull out his Roman citizenship card? Because actually he had one. It was like a car, a little, they would carry it around, a little small, that they could show to prove they were Roman citizens. Why didn't he show that before he took the beating and got thrown in jail? Later on, he'll do that in Acts. They'll, they'll be taking him one time, he'll turn to the guy and say, hey, yo, I'm a Roman citizen. They'll be like, whoa, hold up. Why didn't he do it beforehand? You know what the answer is? Nobody knows. But we do know this. In the Roman prison, people got set free, including the jailer. Just a jailer, but the whole prison evidently gets set free. So why does he not show up beforehand? I don't know, but here's what I know. He's going to set the president, and he comes in there to church now, and he says, hey, listen, you don't have anything to worry about from them. Get ready for some bad news. Don't you love to come to church? The preacher's got bad news for you. Mm. Each year in America, 2.7 million church members become inactive. This, by the way, was before 2019. I will say that in 2020, we probably had 4.7 church members become inactive because as a result of COVID, one-third of the people decided that 
they're not going back to church again. Another one-third of church people decided they might and they might not, and then another third said, I'm going to stay in church. So why do we have 2.7 million church members becoming inactive every year and probably more now? Here's what I'm saying. Our problem is this, is that we have lost our identity in Christ as a church. We have made it into a religious institution. And when we make it into a religious institution, it drives people away ultimately. At first it does good, but then in the long run, see, listen, if you go back and you study church history, every, every so often what happens is the church starts off real strong in the gospel, real strong in, in, in biblical theology, and then it starts to become more self-helps, more light, more Christian ease, more about all about you and about being happy and on and on and on. And then the church will begin to, to, to just drop and fall off. Attendance will drop. Things will go wrong. And then there will be this group of young people that will be drawn back to the true gospel, to true biblical theology, because they've seen what the Christian ease has done to their parents and grandparents and to church, and they want no part of it. Because it comes, here's what happens. It ultimately becomes very judgmental and mean. And then when somebody comes out and brings the authentic gospel and the word back, then all of a sudden they're drawn to that, and there will be a revival in that nation. Here's what I'm saying. We are seeing the beginnings of a revival in a nation, by the way, of young people that are looking at what we've made church into, and they're like, ain't part of that. But then when somebody comes out and says, okay, here's, here's what we're going to live by. This is hard. This is tough. But this is the word of God. And this is authentic. And they're like, yes. Take care of the, all the, not interested in all the fluff. But yes. See, my point is this. When we begin to mess up on this right here, it not only messes us up, but it messes the whole church up as well. Y'all want a few more verses this morning before you head out? Yeah. A whole bunch of y'all said yes. All right, great. So let's go to the second Adam and see how he straightens out everything the first Adam messed up. You want to see this? This is good. Then Jesus left the Jordan, right? This is after his baptism. Very beginning, Luke chapter 4, beginning right at the beginning of his ministry, full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. I want you to see the Spirit led him out into the temptation, okay? The devil said to him, first thing, first thing the devil says, trying to get him to question his identity. Do you see this, church? If you are the Son of God, it's the first temptation until these stones have become bread. But Jesus answered, it is written. You know, he answers every time with the Bible, right? Why is that? Because the Bible is what's going to hold us to the truth. When the temptation comes, when the lie comes, the, reason, the only way we can recognize the lie is if we are familiar with the truth. Wait, this one again. Why are we trying to get you to listen to Bible apps and get the Bible large intakes of Bible? Because when you get large intakes of Bible, then when you got the truth like that, then when the lie is there, it will jump out to you. Just, you'll see it plain as day. Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up to and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, man, I will give you all their splendor, all this authority, because it's been given over to me. Thank you, Adam and Eve. They forfeited that kingdom authority to him, and I can give it to anyone I want. And I'll tell you this again. 
Amazing thing about this verse is Jesus doesn't argue with him. Jesus doesn't say, no, you don't have that authority. You can't do that. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, get that identity, trying to mess with who he is. If you really are, then throw yourself down from here. And here's the thing. When you come with the Bible, you need to make sure you know the Bible. This is why we want to study the Bible. Because look at this. Now the devil is going to try to use the Bible against him. For it is written, he will give his angels order concerning you to protect you. And they'll support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it said, now do not test the Lord your God. So he straightens out that wrong theology. And after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. So how did Jesus straighten out everything that Adam unraveled? With the word of God, with truth. He would, Listen, he not only withstood the temptation, he shows you how to withstand the temptation. But here's the thing, is that everywhere where Adam fell, Jesus was victorious, is victorious. So just... As in Adam, look at that, in, see that? We talk about being in Christ, just as everybody that's born in a physical body is born into Adam, and they all die. So all, in Christ, see that, in Christ, all will be made alive. That's the good news right there. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, he's talking to Nicodemus, John chapter 3, unless someone... Listen, you got to be born again. I need the new birth. I mean, I need to be born into Christ. Because I was born into Adam the first. That's what I need now. I need to be born into Christ. And if he's, listen, unless someone's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's no hope right there. There's no working my way. There's no about being good. It's not behavior modification. It's not church membership. It's not baptism. It's not whatever you put in there. It's only by being born again, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So here's what Paul writing in the church at Corinth, chapter 1, verse 2, just going to read part of this. He's addressing the whole church. Look at this. You do realize church Corinth was messed up, right? They were some messed up people there. Here's what he says to them about them. To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I'll think of all the churches, he wouldn't call them saints. That might be called the ain'ts or something, I don't know. He calls them the saints. The saints called as saints. Saints means holy. That is amazing right there, church. So I'm, I'm going to tell you to, again, our problem is this. We think our standing in God's eyes is based on our behavior. It's not. It's based on our belief. We're saved, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Now listen, my standing in Christ will change my behavior. 
I'm not changing my behavior to get in Christ. Are you with me now? Because we never get there. But being in Christ should be changing me from the inside out. That's where the change is right there. Jesus was 100% relying on the Father. He said, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. I don't do anything unless I see the Father. What you hear me saying, what you see me do, that's what the Father's doing. He, he was 100% relying on the Father. Here's my question for you today. Who are you relying on today? Because it's either you're fully relying on God or you're relying on yourself. You may think there's something else in there. You may think it's your parents or your husband or wife or whatever, but I can tell you this much. You're either 100% relying on God or you're relying on yourself. There's no bouncing back and forth. There's no I'm here today and there. To, it's, it's either all in all, one or the other. You've got to ask yourself today, where am I? Who am I relying? Because here's what I tell you. If you're relying on yourself, you're going to have anxiety. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have fear. You're going to have problems. Lots of them. If you're relying 100% on God, you're still going to have problems. You're still going to have struggles. But they will not overwhelm you and crush you. He will walk with you through these struggles you're in right now. Did, did you, we just talked about the story. Paul and Silas got beaten and thrown in prison for obeying God. You realize that, right? So why should any, why, where on earth will we ever get the idea that if I obey God and serve God, I'm going to be pain free? Things aren't going to break down. Things aren't going to go wrong. It's always going to go good with me. Where do we get that from? See, we get that from that whole self-helps, all about me gospel that's, that's perpetuated in our culture today. That our young people are looking at and they're going, oh my goodness, that's stupid. Let's all stand. So we're going to um, take communion. So I want to invite you to, um, there should be a bowl at the back. It's two at the front. So just as usual, if you would make your way to one of them, grab it, and if, get some for your family. Once you get it, or once somebody from your family goes to get it, you can have a seat.
So let's go ahead and bust into that and get that wafer off the top. So would you uh, look up at the board, please? And I want to ask you, invite you to read this with me out loud. I am a part of Christ's body. I am a new person. My past is forgiven and everything is new. I am at peace with God and he has given me the work of helping others find peace with him. I am a child of God and one with others in his family. I am a child of God and will receive the inheritance he has promised. So God, we thank you today for your body, for the body of Christ that was broken for our sins. We thank you that we can identify with him and that in your sight we are made holy because he is holy, that we are righteous because he is righteous. So we come under the full authority rule of Jesus Christ this morning as a church body. We come, we take this together. So church, let's eat together. Let's go ahead and open up the juice now. If you would ask and invite you to read this with me also. I am part of Christ. I share in his life. I am one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I am a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. I am only a visitor to this world in which I temporarily live. I'm an enemy of the devil. I am a child of God, and I will be like Christ when he returns. So God, we thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all of our sins, past, present, and future. God, we take our position in Christ, in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension now as a church. We remember the death of Christ, we remember the resurrection, and we remember the ascension. And God, we proclaim our victory in Christ, our victory over sin, death, and the devil. So God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for forgiveness of sins. We thank you for our intimate relationship with you, O oh God. So let's take church and let's drink together. Okay, so if you got your phone, I ask you to take your phone out if you would, please. And let's put up the, the Dwell app. So if you take your phone, you go to the camera setting, open your camera up, and you point your camera up here to this code right here, QR code. You may have to enlarge it a little bit. So if you've already got the Dwell app and you're like, man, the thing about this I don't like is that I followed what David said last week and I've got them sharing it with all these other people. 
Well, now you can have your own account this way. You're still under the church's account, the umbrella of the church. But what you'll do is you'll use this, put your own email in, your own password, and this will take you to a site where now you can take off that, the email of the church and the password of the church. You'll still be under our umbrella. We're still paying for the dwell out. But now you'll be able to have your own settings and save your own stuff. If you haven't got it, then get it, listen to it, listen to the Bible as much as you possibly can. We want to share this with you. And then also, another resource we have in the resource room is the Bondage Breaker. We've got several of them set out there. You know, if any of the things I talked about today, you're like, man, that, that whole thing about being set free and all that or whatever, I want to learn more about that. So here's what I'll tell you. Every once in a while, I come across a book, and I think every Christian should read this book. Bondage Breaker is one of those books. I believe every Christian should read that. Those, those, those books have been donated by a person sitting in the church. I haven't asked their permission if I could tell who they are, but they've got a whole case of them that were donated to us. So here's the thing. If you get back there ever in the resource room and you see there's only one of them left, take it. Because when you take it, then we know to put more out. So I noticed last week that there, some of them were taking it, all one book was left. I'm like, oh, you guys are really nice, by the way. Bless your heart. Take them all. We know, to re, we know to put more out. And if you go back there and all the Bondage Breaker books are gone, and all you got to do is send me an email, let me know. We will be sure to get you one as soon as we can. We'll be replenishing them. So highly recommend you get that. If while you're reading it you run into any problems or anything like that, please let me know. Let me let me, me or Melissa or someone help you walk through any struggles you might hit as you're reading that, okay? Y'all glad y'all came to church today? <laughs> Let's pray, okay? Stand up and we'll, we'll stand up and we'll dismiss with a word of prayer. So God, we thank you for all your goodness and all your grace. God, I pray now over all the home groups, everybody that will be going to home groups today. God, I pray that your spirit will just move as we come together in a smaller setting. We dig in more into what it means to, to be in Christ and our identity in Christ. So God, I just pray that you just begin to stir in our hearts even more as we go to home groups. And God, for everybody here today, God, I pray that your peace and your glory and your love will just flow over everybody as we walk out of here today. God, help each one of us to understand more deeply our identity in Christ, what it means to be in Christ, to recognize the lies, the deception that's coming out every single one of us every single day. God, help us to live in the truth of your word, in the truth of our redemption, in the truth of the gospel, in the truth of what it means to be in Christ Jesus. Help us to grow in our understanding and to walk that out in our daily life. We pray all this for your glory and our sanctification. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.